1: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money Starts Now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'd be one of my friends that's trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. If you want to know where our economy's headed now that 200,000 Americans have died from COVID, you only need to look at today's action. Dow gaining 140 points. s hasn't advancing 1.05%, but the NASDAQ surging 1.71%. The market perfectly reflected everything that's going right, but totally obscured everything that's going wrong. Yeah, it's a tale of two cities again, a tale of two cities economy. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. But on Updates, we focus on the best and ignore the rest. What do I mean by that? Okay, let's start by going over the winners today to see what they're trying to say. You have to divine them. They speak to you. The stars of retail tell the story of this contorted economy better than anything I know. The most important winner? Well, of course, it's going to be Amazon. This morning, an analyst at Sanford Bernstein, who'd missed nearly the whole rally here, took the recent pullback as an opportunity to upgrade it from hold to buy. It was very significant. Now, I liked everything in this report. From the mea culpa up front, I always approve of that, to the patience. You see, he waited for a double-digit decline before he pounced. Most people were fleeing on a double-digit decline, not him. I like that. In recognition of the incredible strength in Amazon Prime, coupled with rapid delivery, and the flywheel approach, he says, buy Amazon. Was there anything really revelatory in this note? Actually, yes. You can make the same arguments about Amazon even if the pandemic to end tomorrow. The problem with Amazon, though, is that it's a very much a Dickensian, zero-sum company. Anything they win, any market share they take, does often come at the expense of the brick-and-mortar competition. When you see the stock of Amazon flying up nearly 6% today, I want you to consider it to be creative destruction. The destruction of all the stores that lack convenience, that are stunted by social distancing, and that will ultimately fold if they don't get some help from Washington. Next winner is Ralph Lauren, up more than 5%. Okay, what drove this move? Was it better sales? magnificent earnings? No, they fired 3,700 people, or 15% of their workforce, as the company shifts from a more mall-based company to a more internet-based strategy. Good news for the market, but real bad news if you work for a living, and again, in keeping with this notion of being not in brick and mortar. Third is Lululemon. Here's a company that makes expensive clothes that you're not meant to wear at work. Unless you're a yoga instructor, or you're working from home. When, I looked like, when it looked like we had COVID contained, Lulu's stock started to get hammered. But now that the virus is making a comeback, so is Lululemon, up 6% today. I recommended last week, I stand by my recommendation. Fourth, Nike. Tonight we got a quarter that was so strong as to have buyers clamoring for a stock up a dozen points. Sounds great, right? But what led the quarter? It was China, which is far ahead of us when it comes to the pandemic. So we can be thrilled about Nike, but America isn't driving the bus, particularly physical store Nike, just like physical store Ralph Lauren. No. Hey, you want a real hardcore shift in retail? I got a wild one for you. I want you to check out Facebook, which rallied nearly three percent because we're now getting a sense that e-commerce facilitation business, Facebook shops, which could be enormous, and it's going to help the disenfranchise. I really approve of this. Oppenheimer boosted its price target from $270 to $300, arguing that the shop's business could ultimately generate $25 to $50 billion in revenue. Again, that's all about e-commerce, small and medium-sized business. At the expense of brick and mortar, they will all be ambassadors for Facebook one day. Now, with household net worth at the highest level ever, according to the Federal Reserve, maybe you would think the consumers will have plenty of money left over to shop all over the place. I say not so fast. Those household wealth gains are from stocks. And I bet the bulk of that money stays in the market. In short, retail is still mostly a zero-sum gain. Same goes for the restaurants. I want you to look at today's winners. Chipotle, well, the stock ride another 28 bucks because that is a fantastic strategy for takeout and delivery. Forget indoor dining. They're making roughly the same amount of money as they did pre-pandemic thanks to their links. Hey, by the way, they're also getting big breaks on rent because landlords desperately need to keep tenants who can actually pay. Ha, huh. other side of the coin, Sizzler. I always liked Sizzler. Nice, cheap steakhouse with a 62-year legacy. Didn't always come, with, you know, wasn't always doing as well as I'm doing. You know, would, hey, you go to Sizzler when you're done. I, okay, when I was living in my car, I loved Sizzler. How's that? Okay, today the corporate parent company, not the franchises, filed for bankruptcy. Why? The president of Sizzler made it crystal clear, and I quote, our current financial state is a direct consequence of the pandemic's economic impact due to long-term indoor dining closures and landlords' refusal to provide necessary rent abatements. Tough to run a steakhouse right now. It's the opposite of what we heard from Chipotle, right? In StarCast's contrast, Darden reports on Thursday, and unlike Sizzler, the parent company of Olive Garden has a powerful balance sheet, which means it can survive the COVID economy even if its steakhouses are not delivering right now. Yes, they can get through to when we have a vaccine. They'll be able to do it. Sure, there are some smaller retailers. I'm sorry, restaurants that can still compete. But you just wait until it gets cold and windy outside. With no outdoor dining and heavily restricted indoor dining, most of this industry will be sadly out of luck. Darden, though, the restaurants will still be here when the pandemic's over. Most of their competitors will be gone. No wonder the stock's been so strong going into quits quarter Thursday. It's the last person standing. Next up, we're hearing about the remarkable bull market in housing, spurred by a shortage in homes. But that's also zero-sum. There's a shortage of homes in the suburbs. And, the, and, and by the way, also in the country, away away from the cities, because people are fleeing from the cities and working at home. Landlords aren't ready for it. Neither are the banks that have lent them money, which is why the bank stocks can't get out of their own way. In a world where you don't have to commute into the office, Zoom video reigns supreme. And same goes for the cybersecurity needed if you're using Zoom, Zscaler, Palo Alto, CrowdStrike, Okta, Kramer family faith, Because people who work remotely are a lot more vulnerable to hackers. Again, though, the flip side of this is really ugly. Look at the headline from today's Wall Street Journal. Bonds related to hotels' office face pressure. The banks on a lot of that debt, too, and can't get rid of it. So once again, buyers swap into financial technology, names like Square and PayPal, and get out of traditional banks, even if they're recommended, pushed, whatever. The offsets here are extraordinary. They are just, they're just not they're, they're just visible. I mean, yeah, we can see Lenar's fabulous sales, but how do you gauge the stress of a landlord? Mostly you only pick this up from the credit markets and we are buyers of stocks, not credit. What else? When it looks like we had the virus contained, some of our favorite cloud stocks kept rolling over. And I'm going to give you two classic examples. Adobe, which facilitates e-commerce, or DocuSign, which is how you close on a contract remotely. Now, both stocks got pulverized after, after excellent quarters. I invite both companies to come back now that things are better and tell their story rather than focus on the stock going down. Cases are spiking, so Adobe and DocuSign are roaring again. I bet they can go back to their old highs. With all these people moving to the suburbs you got, or in the country, you got a lot more demand for cars. But they don't seem to want new cars. That's how a contactless used car retailer like Carvana could pre-announce such a spectacular quarter. One that sent the stock skyrocketing up 30%, in part because it's so heavily shorted. So many guys bet against these. (laughs) Whatever. Even the bulls didn't expect it to be this good. This is the new normal until we get a vaccine. Every time we try to reopen, the virus comes right back. It's the bars and the restaurants, people. We know this because other countries have gone through the same thing. In the U.K., in Spain, in Israel, cases started spiking a few weeks ago, uh, ago. We now have 17 states where the numbers are on the rise, and it's getting worse. Remember, it is the caseload. It's not the deaths, thank heavens. It's the case. So stop telling me, Jim, you're looking at the wrong numbers. We have universities where it seems to be out of control, and a lot of these students are being sent home to their parents. We're not... Pete, we're not China, okay, where they're not going to put you in jail if you go out when you shouldn't. Again, the visible stories are almost all positive. The negative stories are mostly hidden, at least when it comes to the stock market. The losers are being crushed by the virus. The winners either benefit from it or can survive it to come out the other side with fewer rivals. Let me give you the bottom line here. You can't see it from the stock market, which has more winners than losers on a day like today, but that's because the losers are too small to be public, and that's who the government needs to be ready to protect as it gets cold. And the weak, by no fault of their own, can't make it through to the promised vaccine land. David in Arizona. David!
2: Hi there, Jim Kramer. Dave here. Hey, Dave. Um, last week you were speaking about value
1: in basic industries, and back in May of this year, I, uh, picked up some shares of Packaging Corporation of America, PKG, specifically because at the time it was yielding a little over 3.6%, and I put it into an IRA, and, uh, they basically make container board, not a or folding carton, um, and I want to get to your thoughts on uh, this as an investment that can grow over the course of time. And okay, also- so uh, my writing partner, Matt Horway, and I have been discussing this because also you had IP doing well. You even had Westrock doing well. Uh, some of that is because they finally stopped opening the new plants. Some of it is because we still know that there is demand for line-of-board because of, uh, of e-commerce. So I think packaging is okay. I'm going to recommend uh, uh, international paper. I think Westrock can move too. Edward in Pennsylvania. Edward.
3: Yeah, this is Steve, his dad, and my son, 12-year-old
1: Edward, has a big question for you. Bring him on. Bring him on. Hello, sir. GameStop has rallied more than 100% in the past month. We've had two recent upgrades and announced that you could pre-order their new PlayStation 5 now. They even said Ryan Cohen sees it rivaling Amazon long-term. After all this, do you still think GameStop's a buy? Okay, GameStop had been a very problematic equity, but it is their time right now. I want to caution. I want to caution that there's a very big short position, and that means that there are people who are going to have to continue to buy it with any good news. It's not my favorite. I think it's a short squeeze, but I think you could have some legs, All right? Unless we get a stimulus compromise, the economy is going back to full COVID mode. Invest accordingly. Back to these stocks again. Oh man, money tonight. Is Macy's in need of a miracle on 34th Street as the retail sector continues to find its way in a COVID-19 world, I'm asking the CEO how it's positioning itself. Then the market has spent the past few weeks rolling over. So is that a thing to come? Is that the sign? Is it an Arbinger? We gotta go off the charts to find out. After selling off hard during the COVID crash earlier this year, how the heck have shares of ELF Beauty managed to return to pre-pandemic levels? I think we should talk to the top brass. Stay with Kramer.
0: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Send Jim an email to cnbc.com. or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Is there any good reason to dip your
1: toe into the department store stocks as we head into the holiday season, with COVID cases unfortunately rising again? Take Macy's. Here's a stock that was already in rough shape coming in 2020, but when the pandemic hit, well, yeah, it got put through the meat grinder. You couldn't open. How can you sell? Plumbing from 17 in February to 6 today, up only a couple bucks from its April lows. When Macy's reported earlier this month, the numbers came better than feared. Inventory's low, credit good, although that's not necessarily saying that much because the expectations were low to begin with. Now, though, the reopening trade has gone out of stock. Style, with Macy's giving up all of its post-earnings gains and then some. Now, I know the situation may seem bleak to some of you, but if you believe the company has enough cash to get through the sustained period of weakness, and I do, then you have to consider that the stock's selling for just 10 times next year's low-borrowing estimates. So could this thing be worth buying into weakness? Let's go straight to the source with Jeff Gannett. He's the chairman and CEO of Macy's to get a better sense of what his company's doing in order to cope with the pandemic and what we expect for the holidays and back to school. Mr. Gannett, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim, it's great to be here.
3: Wish I could be there in person, uh, but great to be on your show again.
1: I could. I wish I could see you in person, be at your beautiful store uh, in Midtown. OK, you picked up four million, four million customers in e-com
3: in the second quarter alone. What are you doing to monetize them? So here we are. So, you know, obviously we had a growing website already. And so during the pandemic, that was our only portal for the customers. So we were really heartened by that 4 million new customers that came into our brand and they're younger, they're more diverse. And we have, we've learned lots from them. So obviously how do we get them to be a core Macy shopper? So we're working through personalization. We've got loyalty programs that give them tender neutral options to come into our brand. We're looking at new categories that they want. So we've added categories based on what uh, they've asked for. Uh, We've got new payment options for them. They asked, one of the things they asked for was, you know, being able to do it in payment installment. So we added Klarna. They want more delivery options. They want speed of delivery. So we added DoorDash for basically same-day delivery in 500 of our stores. So we are really interested in making sure these become core Macy's and Bloomingdale shoppers.
1: Now, you mentioned Bloomingdale's. It is a Bloomingdale's moment. I know that when I look at where we want to buy housewares in my family, okay, we go just like our parents, okay? We go to Bloomingdale's, and the reason we do, high quality, yes, indeed, if we have to return it, we're fine, but we don't want to do it online. We don't want to do it online because you can feel it and see it. And if I'm going to spend 500 bucks, I want to do that. How about these new people? Do they
3: want to go brick and mortar or are they just fine at all times be on the web? Hey, so, Jim, you'd be very surprised what people buy online. The amount of furniture business, you think you want to sit into a couch, but we do a tremendous business online in all categories, including home store. But obviously, as an omnichannel retailer, we have the, the great privilege of serving customers if they want to shop on our app, if they want to do it online, or if they want to come into our reopened stores. So home is clearly having a moment. And you, like so many other Americans, are looking around their houses and they're saying it is time to update. And so that could be new appliances. That could be appliance candy on the counter. That could be new couches, home decor. Textiles is having a moment. Everything across home store and everything in luxury with particular uh, you know, reference to Bloomingdale's is working right now.
1: Well, that's one of the reasons why, I guess, why the gross margins are improving. You're selling the right stuff.
3: Right. Well, part of it is just having customers this high, high appetite for fashion. And, you know, if you think about the competitive mode of Macy's and Bloomingdale's, it's this national strategy we have of great tasty fashion that's packed with quality, that's from off price all the way to luxury. And so, and we're really liquid right now. So we got all of our stocks down. Our stock to sales ratio is quite, is quite healthy. And the goods that we're bringing in, we're selling at regular price. So margins are, are obviously reflective of that. Okay, now we know that Ralph Lauren
1: announced a reorganization today with, unfortunately, a lot of firings. Brookfield let some people go. So obviously the mall is still threatened in your presentations, including one that you did recently uh, at the Goldman Sachs retail. You admitted that, look, some of these malls, if they lose a lot of stores, they become less attractive, even though you think Macy's is the only one there. That's not
3: necessarily a good thing. So how do we solve the conundrum of the mall? So let's just talk about stores. So clearly, you know, what's happening right now when you look at the Macy's and the Bloomingdale's portfolio, you know, we're in a lot of malls, uh, but we're in the best malls. So when you think about the Macy's portfolio, we've got 500 stores. We've already committed to closing 100 of them. And when you look at the remaining 100 portfolio, they're in B, B+, plus, A, all the way up to A-plus malls. Every one of Bloomingdale's stores are in A-plus malls. And I believe those stores or those malls will stand the test of time. You know, when you look at it, I look at what the mix is of, of these malls. And the more they're playing with the mix, getting more entertainment, more hospitality, less apparel and accessories, that's helping You know the amount of footsteps that are coming into these malls. It'll help with the long-term viability. And I'm really happy with our mall partners. When I think about the key REITs that are moving on malls and the most important ones, they've got an investment strategy. They're going to make them viable destinations for years.
1: Now, are they? have they been, because of this elongated back-to-school situation, uh, positive. I mean, how, how do you describe back to school? It's, it's kind of like a rolling
3: thing now. It is. And, you know, is that a, is that a prequel for how holiday will be? Right. So I think we're all kind of looking at, hey, how's the traffic going to be between Thanksgiving and Christmas or Hanukkah? And how, do we, how should we expect that? So I think we're all looking for, you know, whatever comes our way. We've all got ABC. We call it the kind of 2020 options because whatever comes our way, we have to have flexibility. So what I'm expecting is that the holiday traffic is going to start much earlier. You know, customers want more than ever. Customers want to have a great gift that they either put on the tree or, or they give, you know, in, in a treasured box, you know, for customers. And so to make sure that we have that ready for customers, no matter when they want to shop, we're pulling the calendar to start uh, addressing those great values in the beginning of November. And uh, we're going to be ready for the customer for those that want to shop. You know, after Thanksgiving, being an omnichannel retailer, we're going to have great advantage to be able to deliver it the day before Christmas by same day delivery or them coming to a store and through the safety of curbside, being able to pick up that great value. OK, now there are certain things that we
1: associate Macy's with value. We associate them with different uh, with, with so many different products that we like, but we also associate it with the Thanksgiving Day Parade, Jeff. And that has always been, as well as fireworks, but that has always been a mainstay for me, for my parents, for my kids. What are you going to do? So
3: first off, let me just broaden it, Jim. I think what we always do, when you think about Macy's, you think about we're pillars of the communities that we are a part of. And we take great pride in that. That's in our DNA. When you look at what we do give back and what we're doing with all of our donations, what we're doing for Meals on Wheels with food instability right now, those are things that we're really proud of. And we're in that with our customers raising millions of dollars for communities in need. And if there ever was a time where we need to give thanks, it is right now and for Thanksgiving. So, you know, we had kind of a dress rehearsal. You and I talked about this for the Mm -hmm. fireworks. So we did the fireworks. We did it in a way that was safe for all the, you know, for for people who are living in New York City. Expect the same thing with the Thanksgiving Day Parade. It's not going to be a live event, but it's all going to be filmed live. So it's going to be filmed over a two-day window, Uh, It's got the floats. It's got the it's got the balloons. The talent is different. You know, all the people that were ready to come, the marching bands, the cheer squads that were coming in for 20. We've given them a pass. They're coming back for 21. We're backfilling with other entertainment. So this is going to be one that we are really excited about having a great Thanksgiving Day parade for America this year. It's just going to be different. but it will be going without a hitch. Will we be able to order uh, things from, I mean, you know, kind of make it an interactive parade? online? Uh, you know, so there's definitely going to be you know, lots of opportunity in the social space to kind of look at what we're doing with that. And then clearly we have a website that is open on Thanksgiving day. We're not going to have our stores open on Thanksgiving, but obviously we do a lot of business for the demand that comes in on that day.
1: All right. Well, you're more fired up than I've seen you in a long time, Jeff. And I know that you got a lot of good things coming. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. That's Jeff Kennedy, the chairman of CEO of Macy's. Great to see you, sir. Thank you, Jim. Great to be with you. Once again, not an expensive stock. If you believe things are going to get better in the country, if you believe in science, if you believe in the notion that retail has a place that's more than just e-com, even though they're doing well e-com, this is not an expensive stock. Especially when Lulu's up 22 and Nike's up 10, when you get the picture. Man Money's back here for the break. now that the market spent the last few weeks rolling over. In moments of heightened emotion, I'm always telling you that we need to take a more quantitative, empirical approach to investing, because your feelings rarely make you a better money manager. So tonight, we're going off the charts with the help of Larry Williams. He's a legendary technician who's been trading stocks, futures, and commodities since I was in diapers. Not to mention writing more than a dozen books and creating a slew of indicators that we use all the time on the show. More importantly, Williams has a terrific track record this year. In April, when everyone else was freaking out about a possible depression, he predicted the economy would reopen by mid-May, which it pretty much did. In late June, he gave us a fabulous Fourth of July trade. Then he started warning us that we were due for a sell-off at the end of July. If you took them seriously and spent August taking some profits, you're in a much better position right now because you've got some cash you can put to work at lower levels. When it comes to predicting where the market's headed, Williams loves making forecasts based on cycles. These aren't perfect. They're about as accurate as weather forecasts, meaning they work most of the time, but sometimes they really don't. Still, they can give us an important glimpse of the future. For example, take a look at this chart of the S&P 500 last year. The red line is the 72-day cycle, which has been the most reliable forecast over the past three years, at least according to Williams. This cycle predicts potential lows and potential highs. It doesn't tell you about anything, about the scale of a move. It just tells you when the market's likely to change direction. For example, it nailed the bottom at the beginning of 2019. It nailed the high that May. It predicted another high in July. We got that one in August, followed by a low in August that it also predicted, and then a high in October. Again, not perfect, but most of the significant buy points last year came very close to when the cycle predicted we'd have a low. So what does the 72-day cycle tell us about the rest of 2020? Okay, check out the S&P 500 year-to-date with the cycle forecast in red. All right, this is important. Williams recognizes that the cycle right now is, uh, let's say it's ugly, but it suggests we could have an important low coming October 20th, okay? It's not that far from now. It doesn't necessarily mean the pain will stop in a little less than a month, but it does suggest you might want to be ready to buy into weakness. You obviously don't want to look at that. It's going to be very sharp, so if you wait for that to happen, you might miss a lot of good stocks. The question is, are we talking about a short-term bounce or a sustained rally? To figure that out, Williams thinks it's important to consider two of the most powerful macro drivers of the stock market oil prices, and interest rates. If you look at this next weekly chart, it shows the relationship between the S&P 500 and the price of crude 70, yes, seven zero 0 weeks ago in blue. See, Williams points out that energy prices typically do a very good job of forecasting what's in store for the stock market with about a 70-week lead time. Woo! In other words, what happened to the energy market a little less than a year and a half ago eventually tends to play out in the broader economy and also the stock market. For example, we had a huge meltdown in oil in October 2018. And based on this 70-week forecast, it somehow predicted the initial COVID sell-off this February and March. Oil bounced in the first quarter of 2019. That predicted the incredible rebound in stocks from April through the bulk of this summer. Going forward, that delayed 70-week oil forecast suggests we could get a nice uptick in the S&P 500 next month. Not necessarily a huge one, but we should be able to get that. So, again, I mean, if you're freaking out and selling right here, look, I understand. Like, the market was up today if you want to trim some. But this is not that far from there, and you're going to get that. I think this is important. Next up, Williams is a big believer that interest rates have a huge impact on stock prices. So are we. So let's do the same thing with interest rates versus the S&P 500 from 2011 through 2015. So that you can see how this works. See, Williams says there is a, Wow, I know this again. These are, you know, look, he's been around a long time. Okay. This is, this one is 110 week lag. His thesis is that interest rates anticipate potential changes in the stock market a little more than two years down the line. Sure enough, as interest rates rose from 2009 to 2014, we got a fabulous multi-year run in the stock market about two years later. According to Williams, this has been a consistently reliable predictor of stock prices going all the way back to 2008. This chart blows my mind because we usually think about the stock market anticipating changes in interest rates. But it also works the other way around. If that sounds backward to you, OK, look at the action from 2015 through 2019. Same darn pattern held up. Most of the significant highs and lows in the S&P 500 paralleled the highs and lows in interest rates from 110 weeks before. I mean, you got to admit, this is pretty amazing. Now, I can't fully explain why this pattern works. Two years is a very long time, but uh, that's a big lie. But the whole point of technical analysis is that you don't always need to know why. You just need to know that the correlation exists. So what do interest rates from two years ago tell us about the stock market today? All right, look at this chart of the S&P 500 in 2020 with the 110-week-old interest rate forecast in blue again. Based on this forecast, Williams would expect the stock market to bottom in late October. Here we go again followed by a pretty decent move late, later this year into early next year. So, again, we are closing in on this, people. Let's put it all together. Williams has the 72-day cycle predicting an important low around October 20th. Throw in the 70-week-old oil forecast and the 110-week-old interest rate forecast, both of which suggest we'll have an uptick in the same period. And Williams thinks we may have a major cycle low coming in the middle of October that is viable. In short... Let's say you are terrified about the decline of the last few days. You think it's going to last for a long time. You don't think that today's action is typical. If you're worried that the bull is dead, as a lot of people are, and we're looking at the start of a whole new bear market could say the election. If you see COVID cases spiking again and wonder if the market might need to revisit the ugly lows of last spring, the legendary Larry Williams has calmed down. Because the bottom line, the charts as interpreted by Larry Williams suggest we could get some short-term turmoil, but it's not the end of the world. And you should expect a very viable bottom sometime next month, probably closer to the end of October than the beginning. While he's not ready to call the bottom yet, he says you need to be ready because the bottom is coming and it's almost in sight. Henry in Kentucky, Henry! Booyah, Jim. First time, long time. Love the show, man. Oh, thank you you very much. Thank you. My call pertains to Visa. As of yesterday, Visa has been down 10% from the highs at the beginning of September, with contactless payments becoming more and more prevalent. Is Visa a buy right now? Yeah, look, the issue with Visa is cross-border, okay? And we know there's been very little cross-border. There's lockdowns all over the place. We can't even go to some countries. It, that has to change. And, and Visa will change with it if you see that lighten up. How about we go to Ian? Woo, some you know, tough, tough area because of the fires. Ian in Oregon. Ian. Booyah, Jim. Thanks for taking my for your call. First time on the show here. Oh, fantastic that you're on the show. How can I help?
3: Yes, I want to get your thoughts on a I'm currently in. I've been living with these historic forest fires that you mentioned in the past couple of weeks. I've been watching the current rising lumber prices in the commodities market.
1: As well as being a realtor here in the Portland area, I'm paying close attention to the housing sector and building material stocks.
3: With the number of lumber mills being lost in fires and record amounts of forest areas being scorched, I have to think the sector and stocks could possibly see some effects. Do you think an alternative wood solution, like the stock treks, possibly see an increase in demand for these events?
1: I think you've laid out a strong case, and I agree with you uh thank you for the kind words and i've got to tell you i think trex is in the right spot i really do you're in a good one uh, it, it's come down but if you take a longer term it's been pretty good let's go to nick in massachusetts nick booyah mr Kramer. how you doing i am doing well how about you i'm doing well first i want to thank you your team and your family for the work you do you've been an incredible force both in my life oh, and geez, me, my wife that's fabulous. my wife and i talk about you all the time on our podcast so thank you again thank you I'm curious of what your thoughts are on one of the world's leading satellite communicator manufacturers. The company produces consumer wearables in competition with the likes of Fitbit and Apple, but it also manufactures products for marine, aviation, automotive, and government uses. I haven't heard much from the company recently other than it just reported its 5SOS rescue with its in-reach device. What are your thoughts on Garmin? I have liked Garmin for years and years and years. It could be because I'm a boater. We know that their stuff is the absolute best. Um, I uh, I know that the stock looks like it's rolling over. I am not going to let the chart determine how I think about Garmin, which it is an excellent company. And these are excellent questions. Thank you, Nick, in Massachusetts. The chart suggests that we could get a few more tough weeks, okay, but that the bottom sometime next month is viable. And remember, I don't want you to wait till right here. Don't be so cute. This is Larry Williams we're talking about. Much more mad money ahead. After famously swearing off makeup in 2016, 15-time Grammy Award-winning artist Alicia Keys is getting to the beauty business with ELF, with ELF. Beauty, I got to tell you, I think it's going to move the needle. I'm talking with the CEO about this new campaign and finding out if it could mean some pretty profits. Then I'll tell you how short sellers can be your investing safety belt. And I'm using Nikola as a case study. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. If the pandemic was bad news for the whole cosmetic industry i want you to think again just because millions of people are stuck at home that doesn't mean there's no demand for makeup still still got to look your best on zoom your zoomy best i say but obviously most people aren't buying the stuff in stores they're buying it online which brings me to Elf Beauty, ELF. That's the digital-focused, value-oriented, cruelty free cosmetics brand with a stock that's only down a dollar from where it peaked in February. It's up 5% today. When we last checked in with this company in late May, Elf seemed to be a little bit on the defensive. They had to adjust to COVID on the fly, and we're also dealing with an activist investor who's gunning for board seats. Four months later, though, the situation looks a lot better. Management resolved the activist dispute amicably in July. Last month, the company reported a shockingly strong quarter that sent the stock soaring. I think Elf is thriving here for two reasons. First, they got their start as a digital-only brand, so pivoting to stay at home economy has been difficult for them. Second, the company's cruelty-free ethos seems to resonate with the younger demographic. To take advantage of that, they're launching a new lifestyle beauty brand in partnership with the fabulous Alicia Keys. Today, we found out that it'll be called Keys Soul Care. I think this kind of celebrity endorsement could move a lot of merchandise, but don't take it from me. Let's check in with Tarang Amin. He's the chairman and CEO of Elf Beauty. Get a better picture of how this company's doing and what this new partnership with Alicia Keys means for the future. Mr. Amin, welcome back to Man Money.
2: Thank you for having me. Great to be on
1: again. Okay, so Tarang, uh, Alicia Keys, about as big as they get, huge number uh, of Grammys, really famous person that I've never met anyone who didn't think she was the greatest.
2: What can she do for Elf? Well, she is the greatest, first of all, and she's an incredible inspiration to so many millions of people, particularly in this dark time. So we're excited to launch Keys Soul Care, a brand with Alicia Keys. It's a brand that does something that's never been done before. If you think of traditional beauty, you have hair care, nail care, skin care. No one's actually taking care of the soul. And something that Alicia and we can uniquely do is really take care of your total self, your mind, your body, your spirit, and your ability to connect with others. So we're tremendously excited about launching this brand.
1: Now, uh, not to be commercial or crass, how does that necessarily translate into earnings per share?
2: Well, it, uh, first and foremost, it's going to start with everything that e.l.f. does starts digitally first. So next Tuesday, KeySoulCare.com will go live and you'll start getting content, tips. You can sign up for a weekly email uh, on all sorts of inspiration that you're going to get from that, that site. And then by holiday time, we'll have our first collection, starting with skincare. But we've also mapped out about seven other categories. So this is a very broad brand that's going to translate both online and then eventually with select national retail partners. How
1: do your 67% women on the board uh, feel about this?
2: They are ecstatic, as are every single one of our employees. I mean, I think one of our great hallmarks is... Uh, Our core shared values with Alicia on inclusiveness, empowerment, really having a much deeper meaning of beauty, and that starts with the team. So we're really proud of the fact that we're one of only nine public companies that have 67% women on the board, but our entire employee base, we have over 75% women in the company, over 60% millennial or Gen Z, and almost half of our company is diverse. So they represent the consumers that we we mean to serve.
1: All right, now you're going to help me on a a big international political issue, and you're going to solve it for me. TikTok. No one I know is on TikTok other than for a few seconds. And then I come across the most viral campaign in TikTok U.S. history is you. Tell me how it works.
2: Yeah, well, first of all, it works with starting with our consumers. So we have a strong and loyal following among Gen Z. So we take a look where Gen Z is. They're on TikTok quite a bit. So when we did our hashtag challenge, Isop's face on TikTok, it quickly became the most viral campaign in TikTok U.S. history, with over six billion views, over four and a half million videos, and we did it by really. Rep- addressing the needs of our consumers. Uh, we did an original music track. We It really took off. And we continue to feed it with all sorts of other things on TikTok. And so it's been a tremendous success for us.
1: So if Walmart does get uh, its stake in TikTok, would you do it in conjunction with Walmart? I know you've got a fabulous position with Target.
2: Well, we also have Walmart is our largest customer and we're always partner with Walmart. We're the most productive brand that Walmart carries in color cosmetics. And so we look to further our partnership with Walmart and absolutely are open to them as well as the great work that we're doing with Target, Ulta Beauty and many others.
1: Now, you put up a chart recently, we had some Nielsen data, color cosmetics year-over-year dollar sales growth, and you actually block out government stimulus impact. I am a big believer that, boy, do we ever need more stimulus, particularly if it, for the cold weather and stores that might close down. Have, are we out of government stimulus now, and is there a problem?
2: Well, I'm with you. I hope there's more stimulus because I think the American consumer is suffering. The level of unemployment, the level of economic hardship. So we hope for, Amer- for stimulus as any American would in order to make sure that the economy keeps going. Uh, but I'd say, you know, I'm proud of our team of how we've been able to navigate through this crisis. Uh, the category itself has been down. We've posted strong growth. Even more importantly, we're gaining a lot of market share. And we aim to do that regardless of whether there's stimulus or not. All right. Last question.
1: I need to know about what you guys are doing, about uh, making sure that there are, uh, let's say, no no environmental issues. That you're doing the right thing when it comes to what I just regard as being what a lot of younger people care about, which is uh, how are they treat animals? How do they are they doing everything with the with, with the planet? What is your what do you
2: have going? Well, I think that's one of the reasons why we're succeeding right now is our core superpowers as a brand is we're 100 percent vegan cruelty free, have this premium quality, these unbelievable prices and our universal appeal. So we're speaking to our consumers with what's most important to them and living that every single day and making sure we're executing and living up to it.
1: Well, I just think you've done a remarkable job. And I think that Alicia Keys is probably the celebrity I would most want to hook up with. I've done some charity work with her. She's rather amazing. She'll be terrific for you. Tarang Amin is the chairman CEO of Elf Beauty. Thank you so much for coming on the show, sir. Thank you for having me. Inexpensive stock, doing the right thing with the web. You know we think that there is tremendous demand for cosmetics, even in a period where there's a bit of a lockdown. Let's hope we don't go all the way with that. We have money back after the break. It is time. It's time the Welcome to, to on the <that's> the and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate Over yeah, The lightning round comes about to start with Franco in New York. Franco!
2: Hi, Jim. Hello. Thank you for taking my call, of man. Of course.
1: How have you been?
2: I'm okay, sir. I'm nervous. I want to phone with you, and you're a legend, sir. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs>
3: okay, quick question. What do you think about the stock eBay
1: eBay is chronically undervalued, and I'm going to say you should be able to buy it. That's one from Ben Stuttle, who's always telling me it's good. Let's go to... Ja- it is good. Let's go to Jasmine in California. Jasmine. Booyah. Booyah. First-time caller, long-time listener. Love okay. your show. Entertaining and educational. I Thank wanted you. to know your thoughts on e-com. Sell, hold, I Obama. haven't looked at e-com in a long time. I used to like it very much. I don't know. I think I have to do some more work on it. This is... You know, they do they do stuff that I also think you can get from a lot of other guys. That's why I gotta do more work on channel advisor, Dan in Pennsylvania. Dan.
3: Hey Jim, I think I've got a winning stock, unlike our Eagles so far this year, and want to get your opinion. This company's revenues have more than doubled in less than three years. The stock has recently pulled back about 20% from its all-time highs in August. This quarter they acquired Signal Sciences to boost their edge computing and security offering, which is expected to advance fast beta in Q4. Their digital revolution play and provided content All delivery right. network to power the best on the web with an impressive list of enterprise customers, including Shopify, Pinterest, Stripe, Spotify, okay. and TikTok. Jim, what are your thoughts on Fastly? Cool. Other
1: than that gratuitous negative uh, reference to the Philadelphia Eagles, I was saying you were really kind of spot on. I think I saw the decline in Fastly. I was surprised just because how many places, how many schools are, are, are online. I think you're barking up the right tree. I think it's time to buy Fastly. Let's go to Mark in Ohio. Mark. Booyah, Jimmy. Booyah. First time in a long time. Okay. A- Actionalertsplus.com member. What a yes. call Nike today. Yes, we've had some good ones lately, including Nike. Thank you.
3: So, uh, I want to thank you and your staff for all you do for us little guys. Thank you. And I'm calling in regards to a solar pick. And I'm looking at solar edge versus first solar. What are your thoughts? I
1: don't want either, frankly. I'm not as a huge fan of solar as a lot of other people. I do like wind. But I'm not a big solar fan, and I'm not a first solar fan. Let's go to Matt in Georgia. Matt.
3: Hey, booyah, Kramer. Booyah. I'm calling about, uh, I'm calling about Kratos, ticker i I've got a nice position, and it just recently hit an all-time high. It's consistently in the news for signing multiple. I have liked this defense contractor literally when I was at nine,
1: and all the short sellers are like in there saying bad things on the uh, on Twitter, and it's been right the whole way, and it continues to be right. Marie in California, Marie.
2: Hey Ken, Booyah. Booyah, Marie. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I'm oh, first, thank you. a long listener. Oh, I'm a first-time caller, though, but uh, I just wanted to thank you for all the years of education and guidance. You've helped me build my portfolio. Wow. Thank uh, you very much. Yeah, thank you. You really have. And a shout-out to my boys, how long-term, keep it long-term, boys, Anthony and Joey. Long-term, <laughs> Anthony and Joey, long-term. Does, yay. <laughs> My question today is on the stock. Well, I've had and believe in
1: forever. Uh, it's Sirius XM. I, you know, it, it's <laughs> been disappointing of late, which is surprising given the fact that the used car market is so strong. Uh, I, I don't want to. I don't want to abandon it. Uh, I love you. There was a lot of sports that was canceled for a while. I think you stay along it, even though it's at five bucks. I think it should be higher. Let's go to Greg in New Jersey. Greg, bo bo booyah,
3: Jim! Excellent. Very nice. So made the mistake of listening to John Nigerian last week. Uh, I think his ponytail might be tied a little too tightly these days, cutting off the oxygen supply to his brain. Uh, dropped two stinkers on unlucky listeners last week. Both proceeded to fall off a cliff the next day. Thankfully, only bought one of them. So wanted to get your thoughts on
1: our seller, Mattal. Okay. Kick. Okay. Now, just so me you know, I happen to like John very much, and I think he's made a lot of money for a lot of people. And he is a terrific guy, and I like his brother, too. He does have, like I do, some socks that don't necessarily work out. But I think he has done well overall, but I do not like the steel companies. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
0: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TG Ameritrade.
1: When you're investing, the only thing more important than making money is not losing money. As long as you contain your losses, the gains will take care of themselves. Sometimes, though, it can be difficult to sell a stock, especially when you think you found the next Tesla. I know a lot of people really believe that the next Tesla could have been Nikola, the electric truck company that I've been warning you away from for months. Some of you still may believe this. But when you see a bunch of bright red flags, you have to sell and sell quickly, even if you still have conviction. Ever since Nikola started trading, I told you there was much too much hype and not enough substance to this one. I was on a beat. I had a beat on this. If you didn't listen to those warnings from me, you slammed headfirst into a Hindenburg situation. The guy with the goods on Nikola was this fellow by the name of Nathan Anderson. He's founder of Hindenburg Research, named for the unfortunate German airship that crashed and burned in Lakehurst, New Jersey. Anderson nailed this one because he thoroughly distrusted Nikola's hype man executive chairman, Trevor Milton. This guy was incredibly vocal about the coming Nikola revolution how they were going to change the game with hydrogen fuel cell-powered trucks. Earlier this year, Nikola merged with a special-purpose acquisition company, and initially that moved the stock from $11 to a closing high of $80. While Hindenburg Research didn't get you out at the exact top, they came out with some damning revelations when the stock was still trading at 38, it's now at 28. They highlighted multiple moments of alleged fraud. I say alleged, though. Some of them have been already been independently confirmed, and that cast doubt actually on, I think, on the entire story. Turns out Milton had made a number of false statements to investors. The company was overhyping its intellectual property. Even the video of a prototype truck barreling down the highway was staged. It was just a truck rolling downhill with the angle of the hill edited out. Bad set of facts. Of course, the company initially disputed these findings. They even talked about turning the SEC loose on Hindenburg research for market manipulation because Hindenburg admitted they were shorting the stock. But the company's denials rang pretty hollow, and I told you so at the time. Turns out the SEC and the Justice Department are investigating Nikola because they take fraud allegations pretty seriously. I plan all this out because I want you to understand the value of short sellers to this market. I thought Hindenburg flashed enough red signs, uh, red flags, that you had to question everything, including whether the investors and partners like GM, even like Bosch, had really, up at Act, had really done their due diligence before getting into bed with someone like Trevor Milton. Did they know Nikla didn't own much intellectual property? Did they realize the company's hydrogen technology might not be all it's cracked up to be? Do they still think it is? For example, did Mary Bauer, the CEO of GM, who stood by Nikola throughout this whole ordeal, already know about the bogus truck video, or did it take her by surprise? Come on, Mary. Maybe this deal was worth it to GM simply for the electric vehicle credits and to boost their percentage of all-energy vehicles, but it sure doesn't look good to me. I'd like to know what Bosch is thinking, okay? I'd like to know. They're on the board. Now, I'm not saying that shorts, like Hindenburg, are always right. Although they certainly nailed Nikola, especially with Trevor Milton stepping down yesterday. Sometimes I think these guys are wrong. For example, I like J2 Global, a company they targeted. I think it's dirt cheap. I read through the short piece on Grove generation, the tractor supply for the marijuana industry. And while there's some real issues, I still think it's a good story. But when a short seller highlights major red flags, you've got to take it seriously. Even if you ultimately think that they're wrong, you have to contend with their arguments. In the case of Nikola, the bear case was overwhelming. And I am glad Hindenburg went after them. Oh, and even though the stock bounced today on the Milton Resignation, uh huh, I don't like it. Stick with Kramer. Some companies, even though their stock prices go up a lot, I find to be chronically undervalued, and one of those is Nike. It always seems to be incredibly surprising to people when they blow the numbers away. Dude, this has been going on For 20 years they just continue to excel their dna is amazing and tonight's numbers are just spectacular and i've got to tell you it's not just going to be china ahead and they're making a lot of money for sneaker they figured out digitization they figured out personalization they are a tech company that is just extraordinary with great management so when you see a stock like that up 12 13 14 15 points it makes sense I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. Promise started just for you, right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you tomorrow.
0: I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.